If you're not used to uh, liturgical services, then the liturgy now makes a slight change. Instead of us talking to the Lord and singing his praises, he talks to us. So we now have another form of worship, listening to God speak. So he'll speak through his word and then hopefully through the sermon. So brothers and sisters, let's open our ears and our hearts to hear what God has to say to us this morning. And our first reading comes from the Acts, the book of Acts, beginning at chapter 2. The short intro at 14 and then from 22 on. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, and nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this day is from the book of Psalms, chapter 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, 
I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you allow, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. It is our tradition here that when we read the words of Jesus himself, we stand. If you are able, please do. The gospel reading is taken from the book of John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in the season of Easter. Easter is not just a week, it's not just a day, it's actually a season. And it's a 50-day time period between Passover and Pentecost. It's a celebration of the resurrection. And the resurrection truly is the gospel summed up in one word, in one sentence. Because the resurrection is not just an event. Yes, it did happen. It's also a person and we've had these sermons uh, here before. If you would like to hear them, they're, they're on podcasts. Uh, the, Jesus says to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. So we're joining in, not just a movement, but we're also joining into someone very special 
who gives hope to the hopeless in a world that's running around outside that, 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 that doesn't quite, it's in search for meaning, but uh, can't seem to find it. So it's our task to be able to share. And um, one thing I'd like to clear up <clears throat> is uh, Easter is not a pagan festival. No, it really isn't. Okay, uh, you, sometimes I hear on the internet and I get a lot of visitors who come overseas and say, Easter, that's, that's just named after some pagan fertility goddess in Persia. Have you heard of this story? Yes, okay. If you've heard of it, scrunch it up in your brain, throw it away. Easter is only called Easter in two languages. English and German. In just about every other language, do you know what it's called? Pascha, which is the Aramaic of Pesach. So Ishtar, this fertility goddess, uh, lives in the East. And the Christians who live in the East are the Orthodox. And uh, they speak Greek. And when they have Easter, they don't call it Easter. They call it Pascha. So obviously, they're not being influenced by Ishtar, are they? Uh, the West, where we get the word Easter from, is actually Old German, Öster, which is the, happens to be the name of Austria, Österreich. It means spring. And that's actually what you even say in Hebrew. When we wish, we wish each other a happy Passover, we actually can say, Chagaviv Sameach, happy spring festival. And that's where the tradition comes from. Do you want to know what is named after a pagan fertility goddess? The book of Esther. Esther's real name is Hadassah. But when she wanted to hide herself, she changed her name to a pagan fertility goddess, Ishtar. And uh, the Jewish people don't seem to be bothered by that because they've kept it in their Bible all this whole time. And they don't go, oh, we can't read it because it's named after a pagan fertility goddess. So I hope I've cancelled that. Okay, this is, this is cancelling heresies for, for 500, okay, with Aaron. Um, so, now that we've got that out of the way, let's have a look at our gospel text. Because the resurrection is not only just packed with hope and light and life, some of the things Jesus says are amazing. I mean, everything Jesus says is amazing. But uh, after the resurrection, he's going to choose his words very carefully. So, our gospel passage enters or starts in a, in a, a locked room. We find our disciples um, a little bit nervous, confused. They're not 100% sure of what's going on. Some of them are reported that Yeshua Jesus is alive. Some haven't seen it. And they're thinking, guys, it's wishful thinking. I don't understand. Uh, the women definitely are saying, nope, we've met him. And uh, inside, into this locked room, Jesus enters. Now, I want to just say, the text does not say he walked through a wall. <laughs> I mean, it, he could have, but it doesn't say that. Right? So you do have other instances in the Bible where doors magically open. Right? Uh, Peter, when he's escaping prison, the door opens. It even says, by itself. Paul and Silas, change, just fall off. 
Okay? And so, who knows? Jesus might have walked up to the door and went, the force be with you. Right? Okay? And then walked in. You know, these are not the priests you're looking for. Yes, they are. Okay? We don't know. The, the Gospels actually give us a little bit of ambiguity over the nature of Jesus' resurrected body. We know from other Gospels that he can sort of just disappear. Uh, but at the same time, the same Gospel that says he was on the road to Emmaus and suddenly he wasn't there, that same chapter, Jesus says, I have flesh and bone. Right? And when he says, I'm not a spirit, he says to his disciples, I'm not a spirit, I have flesh and bone. I even have something you can't see. And he eats. He even cooks. It's kind of cool. Uh, but what sort of resurrected body does it have? It's still got scars. So we know that the body that went in the tomb is the body that came out of the tomb. And that's why John, when he, when he sees a vision of, of, of Yeshua, of Jesus in Revelation, he says, I saw the lamb as it had been slain. And it even is containing some of his uh, Jewish ethnicity. Because oddly enough, God really likes d diversity. What do I mean by that? Well, God looks into heaven. No, not God looks into heaven. He's in heaven. Uh, Jesus, no, I'm going, John looked into heaven. And he says, I saw people from every tribe and tongue worshipping the Lord. So people still have their ethnic distinctions and their own languages, even in the new world. So we're not all going to become hermaphrodites, you know, and uh, all the same color. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's God loves diversity. And Yeshua himself is still the lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation. So the body that walked into the tomb the body that came out of the tomb. And it's very special. So we've got a group of, of Jewish people, disciples, locked inside a room, and they're afraid. And what are they afraid of? Well, they're afraid of the Jewish leadership, it says. But there's no reason for that. Nowhere in the Gospels does it say the Jewish leadership is out to get them. They've already got their man. They think they're doing fine. They have not yet heard the reports. Uh, and so at, at this point, the fear is, uh, is a little un, unfounded. And by the way, a lot of fear is. And fear is one of the biggest enemies of the gospel. It stops us from wanting to go and share. Not, I don't know what to say, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm afraid of what people will, will think of me. Um, I'm afraid of what Jesus will say if I fail. So what do we do? Nothing. And, uh, and that's wrong. Uh, the, we should, a lot of the fear we have, there are fears to be had in the world, yes. But a lot of them are actually unfounded. And so there's a group of people who are searching for meaning, just like what's going on outside in the world. They're confused, just like what's going on outside in the world. And they need some hope, just what's like going on outside in the world. And so at the end of this service, we're going to have a thing called the dismissal. And that is not part of the service that says, guys, the show's over, go home. Okay? It's the part of the service that says, your worship of the Lord has finished inside here. Your service to the Lord is about to begin. You are dismissed to go and serve. You're going to be ready to say yes to that? 
I hope so. Because we need to take the truth of the resurrection out there. So Yeshua comes into to a group of people. They're, uh, they're nervous. They're uh, unsure. And he says, Shalom. Oh, a great word. But it's packed with meaning. Because in, in it, uh, what does shalom mean? Yes, it means peace. That is absolutely true. And in Jewish exegesis, you often have to, uh, or you have a minimum of four ways of reading every single word. Okay? And so shalom means peace. Yes, it comes from the verb leshalem, okay? which means to pay. Right? Words have uh, roots. They come from uh, uh, a stem. And the root stem is the verb to pay. So what has peace got anything to do with payment? Ooh, bit of theology coming up here. If I went to the market and I wanted to buy a, uh, a whole chicken, it's often a tradition here to eat a whole chicken for, for Shabbat, you would go to the market and you would say, Anir would say, off shalem, I would like a whole chicken. And you know what they give you? They give you a whole chicken. Okay, it's got neck, it's got feathers still on it, you know, uh, everything is there, and then you, you cook it, and, uh, and then when you pay it, pay for it, you pay, and then the verb for past tense, shalamti, I've paid it, hu shalem means he paid, and what does shalem mean? It means full, 100%, everything, so to a group of nervous disciples, he walks in and he says, shalom, I've paid it. 100%. Now there's something else you need to do. And uh, he gives them the Holy Spirit. And he goes, breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And this is a, an echo from, from the book of Genesis. Because that's the, that's the time when we hear that, that God breathes for the first time. I mean, there's Adam lying on the ground. Everything there is ready for him to get up and start moving. But he doesn't. And then God breathes life into him, and he gets up. And so, you know, God breathes life into humanity. And here he is, breathing new life into humanity. Yet again, Jesus says, as he has said before, I do the things I see my Father doing. And, uh, and he breathes life. Gets a little uh, uncertain then, as uh, in some uh, uh, commentaries. He just gave them the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says, wait in Jerusalem to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I can just imagine a disciple going, didn't you already give us that in the room when we were kind of nervous and we needed it? Well, yeah. Because if, if let's, let's remember that this book, much to some people's chagrin, uh, is a Jewish text. You know that. It's written by Jews, about Jews, predominantly to Jews. And so you've got to put your little Jewish caps on. If you heard the word, you're going to be baptized, what does that mean in Jewish tradition? The mikveh, okay, which is a, uh, a pool of water that you walk in by yourself, by the way. Right? No one touches you. When you're being baptized, you take all your clothes off. Don't do that. Okay? And, uh, and you go into the water and you get covered Head to toe. There's nothing separating you from the living water. It's got to be living water. Water's got to be coming in one side. It's got to be going out another. 
and, uh, and then you, you, you get, everything gets washed away. And then as you come up out of the water, the rabbis will say, when the man who comes out of the water, women too, by the way, uh, uh, it is as if their skin is the skin of a newborn because they have been born again. This is where a lot of this language comes from. But how often do you go into and get baptized? Every day. So what are the disciples hearing? You're going to get baptized, filled up, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. How often? Once? No. Every day. And so you read in the, in the book of Acts, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden says this, Stephen, now full of the Holy Spirit, gets a vision of heaven. Paul, now full of the Holy Spirit, manages to do something miraculous. So who wants to get full of the Holy Spirit? I hope so. Every day. But for for the disciples, for right now in our gospel passage, they need the Holy Spirit. Especially for what comes next. Receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, and by the way, I would like you to forgive people's sins. Because if you do, they are forgiven. Whoa. I thought Jesus forgave people's sins. You mean I can walk around the planet and go, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're not. (laughs) Unless you pay me lots of money. No, we have to be very careful. What is Jesus actually saying here? He's actually said this before, right? Actually, in, uh, in, in, in Matthew, at the end of the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, or included in that, how does the Lord's Prayer go? Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive. Ooh, it's participatory here. Where there's a, the nuance of forgiveness is, is quite nuanced. So, what does it mean for the Father to forgive me? Because that's what it says in, in, in Jeremiah 31. I'm going to write a new covenant with the house of Israel. I'm going to put the Torah on your hearts, and I'm going to forgive their sins. So, wow, awesome. But there's some sort of participation also as well. And God has always delighted to involve humanity in his creation. Right at the beginning, when he made the universe, he was king. And the dominion was his. And he turned around to a human and said, now I want you to have dominion. I'm going to share this. At any time, God could send every angel he's got. He's got quite a lot, by the way. And he could send them to every single human on the planet. Who Suddenly they can be announced, Jesus is Lord. But what does he choose to do? He sends us. He delights to allow us in that message. And so there's a part of this message that we need to deliver to the world, that their sins are forgiven. Are we doing it? Jesus is doing it. There's another aspect. In Matthew, it says, if you forgive someone sins against you, it's very specific. Someone sins against me. I need to forgive. And the English translation here sort of messed up the Greek. Uh, Jesus says, forgive and uh, your sins will be forgiven. But if you retain the sins, those sins are retained. What does that mean? Okay, I have a a problem with a brother. That brother might have turned to the Lord and asked for forgiveness. Guess what God does for him? Because he delights in it. How do I know he delights in this? It says so in the Bible, but I'll better prove it. The, The word for forgiveness in Hebrew 
has, it has, there are two words for it. The most common one is uh, salach, you know, from the, you know, where we get shlitzlicha uh, uh, from, excuse me. <laughs> okay? uh, but that's the word that you normally would see in, in a fair bit of the Hebrew Bible for forgiveness, that the Lord's going to salach uh, our sins away. Forgiveness. But there's another word that is used, uh, nasa. It's used in Exodus, where God, I'm going to just read that section uh, for a bit. Exodus 34, in verse 6, it's going to say, The Lord, the Lord, this is now going to be mentioning some of his attributes. He is compassionate and he is a gracious God. Sounds good. He is slow to anger, praise the Lord. He is abounding in love, and he is faithful. Oh, I like that. He maintains love for thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, when it says forgiving sin, it says that uh, he delights to carry. That's what nasa, nasa on. He carries the burden away. That's what Nasa means. It's like the scapegoat, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He carries it and he delights to do so. Micah 7.14 literally says, the Lord delights to carry the sins away. He loves it. It's part of his attribute. He is an incredibly forgiving God and he wants his people who are saved and redeemed to imitate him. This is one of the things that we have to do, is to imitate Jesus. And he says, I want you to forgive. We, we are a part of that redemptive saving process. But if a brother goes and begs the Lord for forgiveness, the Lord will forgive. He delights to do so. And then he comes to me. And uh, it says in James, you know, confess your sins one to another. It's going to happen. It might not happen in a little box, but it can. But it could happen in public. We often do our confessions here in public. And, um, and my job is to, is to act like Jesus and forgive. And it's hard, isn't it? Some sins are really hard to forgive. And, um, and, and I get it. The, there are, you know, if, if someone came and killed your children, it's really hard to forgive, isn't it? But saying I can't forgive because I'm really struggling is very different from saying I won't forgive. Do you see there's the difference? One is an appeal to the Lord. Please, Lord, I'm struggling with this and I can't do it right now. I just can't. You're going to have to do it for me. That's fine. Saying I won't forgive, I'm never going to forgive, you're retaining them. You, not them. They've gone and made their peace with God. Sin has multiple aspects to it. And if you retain sin, it'll eat you alive. You'll become bitter and you'll find despair and nothing will taste good anymore. And uh, it'll be painful. And before you know it, all you see when you open your eyes is darkness. And Jesus says, don't do that. 
don't do that. I'm giving you a warning. You, just don't. you want to live in a community of forgive, forgiveness. This is going to be the invitation in a little bit. I'm going to be inviting you to, to join in a community of forgiveness. And we're going to take that message of love, of hope, of salvation to the world, of a resurrected God who has defeated death and wants to carry your sins away. And he wants his people to have that freedom. He wants his people to know that they can have peace. He wants his people to know that, they can, that everything is paid for. And you're going to need some help, so you're going to need the Holy Spirit. You want to get filled up with him every single day. You want to have him overflowing head to toe every day so you can engage in this action of forgiveness. So one of the parts of the service is in, in, it doesn't actually have a title in ours, but sometimes it does. Uh, it's called the assurance of forgiveness. So after we've made a public confession, then our priests will come up. It's always usually done by a priest. Okay, I'm a deacon. This is what this is. He's a priest. Um, and uh, it sort of mimics what you see in the temple, okay, where you had Cohens and Levites. Cohens could do certain things. Levites could do other certain things. So a hierarchy, and that's okay. Uh, but there's one, there was always one thing the Levites could do that the Cohens couldn't. <laughs> they could carry the ark. It's pretty special, yeah? The ones who do all the serving and the sweeping, they were the ones where God says, they carry me, right? But the priests will get up, and he will offer one of the pleasures of the church, one of the truths of the church, and one of its missions. He will offer the assurance that you are forgiven, Many people come into church, uh, they believe in God, they believe in Jesus, but they still lack that assurance that they themselves are forgiven. Jesus saves everybody, but me, uh, I'm pretty bad. And I keep doing all the same stuff again and again and again. And one of the pleasures of the church is to stand up and say, no, you've got, you've, I want to tell you how powerful God is when he wants to delights to take away your sins. And he delights to carry them. He's carrying them. Whoa. And uh, he's going to give you that, that blessing, that assurance. And it's going to come just with a few words, but it's going to come in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, you are invited this day, this season of joy, of resurrection, where we get to say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Invited to join in as a community of forgiven people, a community of people that are forgiving, because this is in the Greek is in perfect tense. What is perfect tense? I hear you ask. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, it actually comes from the Latin, Latin perfectum, which means completed. It's a tense which suggests that the activity has already been done. And we are now reaping its consequences. In English, the way we would say a perfect uh, sentence would be, um, uh, I have cooked dinner. Our dinner is cooked. There's no more, no more cooking. And now we will enjoy eating. Now we will have table fellowship. That is a, a perfect sentence. It's, if it's curry or a barbecue, it's definitely a perfect sentence. But uh, the tense of the Greek suggests... It's paid, just like the Hebrew shalom. And now we reap that, that, that benefit. 
And that benefit should give us hope, should give us light, should give us life, should give us purpose. It gives the world meaning. Everything it hasn't got, but everything it really needs. And so when you are dismissed, take it and go run with it because they need it. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.